Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Josh Newberg, and I've got Zach Blostein here with me. Uh, today, Zach and I are going to tackle the first part of the podcast, and then Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone will tap in for the second half. Uh, Zach and I want to preview Florida State's first big recruiting weekend of the 2023 cycle that's coming up on Saturday. And then Chris and Brendan will come and finish their season preview. I believe they've done the offensive side of the ball, so today will be defensive side. Uh, Zach, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Doing great. Ready for this weekend. I know, man. Um, it's funny because there's so many periods of time recently, you know, in November, December, January, where we were just so tired of recruiting and tired of covering uh, events at the, on campus. And now after a month of the dead period, it's like we can't wait to get back out there. Are you excited that something of <laughs> of substance is happening finally? Yeah, it feels like I actually have news to report. But, uh, you know, but February was good. It was a good break, uh, mm -hmm. especially after that 2022 cycle, which is so crazy. Um, but definitely a good break, but I'm ready to get back into it. Yeah, and we will get back into it this weekend because Florida State is hosting. And I, I call it the first big visit weekend of the 2023 cycle because in January they did have two weekends where – you know, we had a handful of visitors come in, but I wouldn't say it was like the top of the line guys that are top of the board guys, but they were, they were important targets. But this weekend is just unlike any other that we've seen for the cycle of 2023. Um, it coincides with the first day of spring football and Florida state wanted to do a, a bigger type event for their first junior day, if you will. Um, they're going to come in on Saturday, Zach, you have some more details on exactly what's going on Saturday. Um, what are you hearing? Yeah, so they're going to get in in the morning uh, to Florida State's campus. Most of the guys, there's some prospects that are actually doing like a full weekend visit. So Friday to Sunday mm -hmm. uh, or through the six. But for most of them, it'll be on Saturday morning. They'll get in. Um, they'll undergo like NIL and academic meetings uh, early on before spring practice. They'll watch spring practice. Um, then I'm told they're going to meet some former FSU players uh, after that and spend time with them and just get to, you know, talk with them, uh, with their parents and everything. And then there's actually the basketball game. I believe FSU basketball is playing their last home game against NC State on Saturday and around noon. Yep. And, and I was told that the, the recruits will be over there, at least for a portion of that as well. That's awesome. Uh, that'll be a, a lot of fun. Hopefully the tuck is packed for that. Um, now, this won't be the last big visit weekend of the spring. It's really the first. And I expect I expect there to be visit weekends that coincide with each spring scrimmage. So we know what FSU typically does like, what, two, maybe three spring scrimmages. Yeah. So we'll accept we'll expect a group for each of those. And then, of course, the spring game in April. Uh, that'll be a major event that Florida State's going to be trying to get their top recruits to again. So how much weight should we put into this weekend in terms of results? 
I think this weekend goes a long way in, in you know, setting up the, the framework for building this class. I don't think this weekend is push for commits, push for commits. Um, that'll be more towards the later part of the spring, probably like, you know, spring game time um, is kind of when that'll be like the last visit until, you know, the summer months for a lot of these kids uh, at any school. So it's, it's important to get them back on campus. But I think this is more, if you want to call it like that, like a more of a spectacle event to draw kids in uh, on campus and then just make it a great experience. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of pushing for commits. There might be a few guys that they, they want in the class uh, early on, but you know, all, all that matters is they sign here. So it doesn't matter if he commits tomorrow or in December, like as we know, especially it, it only matters when they sign. So yeah, yeah, we learned that lesson the hard way, Zach. Yeah, we did on this podcast. <laughs> but, but another reason why, and I, we spoke about this on the last, on the bench when all four of us were there and Chris laid the under over at two and a half commitments and pretty much all of us took the under, but I would take the over in terms of how many kids that are on campus this week and end up signing with Florida state in December, January. I think there's going to be about 75 prospects, give or take on campus this weekend, two and a half commitments this weekend. I'll take the under two and a half signees that come from this visit weekend. I'll take the over. You agree or disagree? No, I definitely agree. I mean, you got to kind of look at it. Like I was told um, by a source today that, there was going to be around like 36 guys that were offered and that they're pursuing on campus mm-hmm. on Saturday, which is a huge amount. And that you're just talking 2023 class because you're yeah. not factoring in the 2024 kids, the 2025 yeah. early offerees. So yeah, 2023, there's over 30 offer prospects on campus. That's a lot. That's a lot because you only have 10 on-field coaches and you have the whole support staff, but still, you know, that's a lot of uh, top prospects on campus at one time. Yeah. Uh, All right. So now let's talk about who is coming in. And when we are taught, let's go to the offensive side of the ball first. Uh, Who, who are some guys that stand out? Start at quarterback with our guy quarterback quarterback. You got Chris Parson. Um, Obviously we've talked about him a lot, but he's coming back. Uh, He's reaffirmed his commitment to Florida state uh, after that whole situation last week. But I think uh, it's going to be a heat. The thing about Chris Parson is, you know, Every class we like to talk about how the quarterback is such a great recruiter, um, no matter who it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a nameless, you know, face. Chris Parson is genuinely a good peer-to-peer recruiter. He is very good at starting up conversation. Um, I remember on his January visit to Florida State, he was, you know, talking it up with uh, Tyler Williams, another 23 receiver target. And I think he's he's going to be crucial to have uh, here this weekend with all the other skill guys that I'm about to mention. At the running back position, Dalen Smothers. This is a huge visit for Florida State because, uh, as we've talked about at length, the running back board is a little bit, you know, shuffled and confusing right now. We don't know who really is the top guy that there's, you know, genuine mutual interest in. I think Smothers is right up about up there now uh, mm-hmm. for me. I think I think he's probably one um, A, one B with you know a couple other guys. But getting him on campus all the way from North Carolina, he's going to come down and visit. I heard this visit was, you know, up in the air for a couple weeks, but he, he reaffirmed that he's going to be making it down to Tallahassee. So that's huge. Um, I think the, the headliner of the entire event is five-star wide receiver, Brandon Ennis out of American Heritage down in South Florida. Um, huge big time receiver. I think. Uh, Number one. Not just, yeah. Not just any. Just 
Yeah. The number one high school wide receiver in the world. Yep. For the 2023 uh, class. He's been doing it ever since I started covering um, recruiting, which was like three years ago. So I've just been hearing about this kid. Finally, it's his time to sign. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know if Florida State has a legitimate shot. I guess we'll see what he thinks after this trip. Um, But he did. I know he did grow up uh, either as a Florida State fan or, you know, something along those lines. That's what I've always been told with Brennan. Um, That has obviously faded a little bit. He was committed to Oklahoma. Now it seems like USC, Ohio State, and Alabama are also super involved there. Um, His teammate, Santana Fleming, I just entered a 24-7 sports crystal ball for Fleming to end up at Florida State. He's going to be making it up. Um, This is a much-anticipated visit for him. He, if, if you follow him on any social platform, he's constantly tweeting uh, about, you know, Florida State and his love for the school. His dad's a huge fan. He's on his dad's on our site all the time. Shout out. Um, providing some cool insight. Uh, but yeah. Um, but then I think for me, the most excited uh, or the most the position I'm most excited for to see on Saturday is that offensive line group. Mm, yeah. um, Alex Atkins continues to impress. He's getting three blue chip offensive linemen on campus, uh, three guys that are in the top 247 and Roderick Kearney, Lucas Simmons, and Kelton Smith. All those dudes were on campus in January, and they're all back on Saturday. I think that's huge. Lucas Simmons just got a huge bump in the uh, the top 247 that was released this week. Mm -hmm. He's in the top 150 now. He had a great camp, didn't he, down in uh... Down Miami. in Miami, yeah. And Roddick Kearney, also a guy that was down in Miami, got a bump as well. I think it was like 20 spots or so. So, yeah. Interesting to see. And, yeah, those are that's awesome. Um, to have Lucas Simmons coming back I think is huge. Roderick Kearney uh, feels like FSU has some good traction there. And then what do you think about Tyler Jeffries out of Tennessee? This is his second trip from Tennessee to Florida State. They got something going on there with him? Yeah, I mean, I think uh... – I think FSU sits at near or at the top for him um, based on some conversations I've been having in recent weeks regarding the offensive line board. I think um, he's a guard prospect for them mm-hmm. uh, from what I've been told. And when he came, he came actually to that 2021 elite camp in June and worked out with all those other guys and he looked pretty good. He really stood out, I would say. Yeah. Uh, you know, among, granted, you know, it wasn't like there was a – it wasn't the best group of offensive linemen there, but he stood out, and he looked like there was something there um, in terms of we knew Florida State was going to keep in contact with him. And, and he came down from Tennessee to work out at FSU. It seemed like he had a good bit of interest. Now he's coming back again. Um, Tyler Jeffries goes six foot five. 298 pounds. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good chunk of a human being right there out of Alcoa, Tennessee. So he is making his second trip back. He's got about 10 offers, um, some interest coming in from Virginia tech, West Virginia, Oregon, Mississippi state, Miami, Florida state, and Cincinnati. Um, Of that group of offensive linemen, where do you think, who do you think is the most important coming on campus this weekend? To me, it's Lucas Simmons, because I think Lucas Simmons is a legitimate offensive tackle prospect. Um, he's got the like offensive tackle build that you want. Roddy Kearney is a kind of a lean offensive lineman, but he is going to project as a guard is what I've been told, um, at least at, 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 within FSU scheme. Yeah. I think Kelton Smith is also uh, 
you know, similar uh, kind of a, a bigger guard body. But Lucas Simmons is very tall. So I think he's like six seven is what we list him as, and um, he is six, impressed. Seven three hundred. Yeah, he's impressed at every single setting I've seen him in. I, the Mega Camp last year, he was one of the top performers uh, at FSU, and I think he's only continued to get better. So I'm really excited about him. I think out of the three, that's the guy I'd want FSU to land. Um, you know, I, I think the other two guys are super important as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lucas Simmons from Clearwater Academy International in Pinellas County. He's a top 100 prospect in the composite. He comes in at 189 overall. So yeah, yeah. Lucas Simmons right now would be the, I would say he's probably, yeah, he is the best available offensive tackle on the board right now in terms of rankings, at least. I don't know exactly where FSU values him, but in terms of rankings go, Lucas Simmons is kind of emerging as dare I say, like, uh, well, I don't want to say Elijah Pritchett, but like he is like, kind of becoming the focal point of attention for offensive tackle recruiting. Yeah. It's happening. Yep. Get excited. All right. Defense. Who do we, who are we looking for on defense? That's going to visit. Yeah. I think, I mean, the entire defensive line group is kind of ridiculous how stacked it is, but the headliner is obviously Vic Burley um, out of Georgia. He's a five-star defensive lineman. Um, FSU, he was at the elite camp as well. This is his first trip back to FSU since that trip. Mm. So I think uh, this is going to be huge uh, if Odell Higgins is going to, you know, recruit at that level again. Obviously, this is a super, you know, tough matchup with Georgia and Clemson, both super involved with him. Um, But I think Vic Burley is probably the headliner on defense, but not far off from him. Wilkie Denod, uh, he's been blowing up recently. FSU offered uh, within the past few months, and he told guy, our, our guys down at uh, the Miami camp, at the um, Miami Under Armour camp, that Florida State was a school that was, you know, interested in him the most and that he was uh, pretty interested in as well. This is his first trip, I believe, to campus um, since he may, may have taken a few, like, game visits, but this is yeah. his first, like, true in-depth visit with Mike Norvell and his staff. So I'm excited about him. Um, two other guys to note at the defensive line position, both guys that you have crystal ball to Florida State, Deron Reed and Jordan Hall. If you guys, if you want to talk about those two guys a little bit. Yeah, I have them both crystal ball to Florida State. Uh, Deron Reed is out of Carver uh, High School in Columbus, Georgia. He was teammates with Elijah Pritchett. And I say that because he made almost every visit that Elijah Pritchett went on. And if we remember Pritchett went on about six off season visits to Florida state and Reed was usually right there with him. So um, he's already been on campus once or, or at least once he'll be back on March 5th. That's going to be exciting. And then Jordan Hall comes in. He's a prospect out of Jacksonville, four-star defensive tackle that, that I put a crystal ball in for. And I did it uh, about a week ago, last Monday, didn't mean for it to signify that it's going to happen this weekend, but I am told that, him and Odell Hagens have an excellent relationship. Hagens has a great relationship with his uh, family as well. And I think this is a guy that they've kind of zeroed in on and made a, a priority for them. Um, I think when all is said and done, he's going to end up being one of the probably top three or four defensive tackles in the state of Florida. Um, I think Florida is going to be the biggest competition there. So, um, and Hall was at Florida, I believe, a couple of days ago, right? Yeah, or even today, I think, actually. It, it might have been when today. So I don't Thursday. think he's coming down to a decision, but I do have a crystal ball pick in for him. Yeah. Gotcha. 
And then another guy to note um, at the defensive back position, uh, Braxton Myers. He's out of Coppell, mm-hmm. Texas. He's a top like 120 prospect, um, you know, ranked as the number six safety in the country, according to the 24-7 sports composite. He's crystal ball to Clemson right now. Um, I'd say that's FSU's biggest competition, but he's making the trip over on his own dime to come visit Florida State, uh, you know, on Saturday. So I think that's pretty encouraging. Um, and there's there's obviously, a, a you know, a bunch of other names you guys can go check out on the site on those 24-7. We've got the full updated vis- uh, visitor list uh, up there right now, and we're going to continue to update it all the way into Saturday. Yeah, man. Uh, how many total visitors with all the classes? Are we up over 75 or right in that range at this point? Yeah, I mean, th- there's some guys that I still have to add. Um, definitely over – definitely, I think, around 50. Um, but probably with, you know, the add-ons that guys mm-hmm. bring along with them, definitely probably up to what, what you're talking about, like 75. Yeah, I think it'll be upwards of that. So this will be a big, fun visit weekend. Is there anybody on Commit Watch? Man, this is tough. Um, I think uh, the guy I'd point out, probably Jeremiah Anglin. Um, Dur- yeah, Derwin James's little cousin. Uh, he's been blown up on the scene recently. UF's gotten involved. So but I think, uh, I think you know, he named Florida State his leader after visiting in January. Mm-hmm. He set up a return visit. Um, we'll see if, he, if he's a guy that wants to wait it out. But I definitely think FSU sits in a good spot. So I have his profile open on my on my computer now because I was thinking about doing a, a putting in a crystal ball for him today. And then I was like, well, maybe I should wait till the show. I don't know if this deserves a show crystal ball. Um, but if I do end up putting a crystal ball pickup in on Anglin, just remember where you heard it first. OTB. You heard it here for first, folks. Um, but yeah, Jeremiah Anglin, he's out of Lake Wales, Florida. Cousins to Derwin James, 6'1, 184. Um, a bit of a raw safety, not exactly like a can't miss type guy, but I think he moves great. I think he's going to climb the rankings. I don't understand, you know, why exactly he's a three-star at this point with those measurables and his athleticism. But, uh, you know, I think it'd be a a big one for FSU to lock down early. I don't know if I'd necessarily put him on commit watch, but I do like that you mentioned his name. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to, to put anyone on commit watch just because it's so early, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but definitely, you know, that wouldn't surprise me if he if he decided to commit. And another one, just really quickly that we mentioned earlier, Santana Fleming. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. I've been told, you know, for months now that he's a guy that's going to wait it out. Um, but he just won't stop talking about Florida State, you know, on any platform um, in, in any interview that I have with him. So I think uh, if he, you know, over the next couple of months, it doesn't even have to be Saturday. If he decided to commit out of, out of the blue, that wouldn't really surpri- surprise me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anybody else, anybody else that you, that you're looking at? I'd say um, three-star receiver Keon Brown out of Tallahassee records. Mm-hmm. I think I'm super high on this kid. I think he's really a really good receiver. Um He's got legit size, like 6'3", as what what FSU measured him in at on the last visit he took. Yep. I watched him in person at a 7-on, and he moves extremely well for his size. Um, He's really twitchy. He's got a really quick release off the line and um, basically was torching up defenses, you know, all all tournament that I watched him down at, I think it was the Pylon Orlando camp. 
So I, I'm, I'm really high on him. I know FSU offered and they're pursuing. Um, but if, you know, maybe if he gets the green light, he'll commit. Um, I know he's really high on FSU as well. All right, cool. Um, there's also, before we get handed off to Chris and Brendan, there will also be a couple visits on Friday and Sunday. Not necessarily big visit days, but who who we expecting in those days? Yeah, so Friday, it'll be top 247 defensive lineman out of IMG Academy, Will Norman. He's a huge FSU target. FSU really likes him. I'm told that he's he's making a stop to FSU on his way up to LSU for a, mm -hmm. for a Saturday visit. He FaceTimed the staff um, on Thursday and basically asked if he could come uh, come and stop by because he's he's pretty interested in FSU. So that's uh, well, a I know time. he I know the staff loves him. I mean, he, yeah. he is definitely a beast. And uh, if they could get some traction there, I think that'd be all that'd be great. Yeah. So I think uh, yeah he's coming in on Friday and then joining him uh, two other guys that I believe are IMG as well. Jaden Hardy. Um, he's a 2024 defensive back, I believe, um, who will be at Florida State. He's a top 40 prospect early on in the 2024 rankings. Mm -hmm. And then his teammate, 2023 four-star defensive back, Dale Miller. He's originally out of Hoover, Alabama, but I believe he just transferred over to IMG. Um, I had him originally down on Saturday, but I'm told that he's actually going to be visiting on Friday. Um, and then Sunday, uh, there, there is a few prospects coming in that I know of right now. I believe it's a contingent of the DEFCON 7-on-7 team. Uh, the guy to note is 2024 defensive back Antoine Jackson. Florida State has already offered. He's at a Dillard High School um, that Florida State's fans know very well. Uh, but, yeah, so th those are the guys that are visiting on Friday and Sunday. All right. It'll be busy. And as always, wall-to-wall -wall coverage on Knowles 24-7 all weekend long. And we will be back here on, on Monday to recap it all, talk about all the news, and get you guys caught up on the big visit weekend plus the first day of spring practice. So now I'm going to hand it over to Chris and Brendan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to On the Bench. I'm Brendan, joined by Chris. You know our last names. No need for formal introductions here. So second part of this podcast is going to be about FSU's defense as we enter spring practice, just kind of a position-by-position position rundown to go over what the Seminoles have, things that Chris and I are going to be looking forward to as, uh, as spring practice begins on Saturday. So, Christopher, let's start with defensive end. Uh, you got a chance to see Jared Verse in person during tour of duty. On a scale of one to ten, how much did your man crush on him increase after seeing him uh, move in person? Well, it did change drastically. I saw him when he came in for his visit before he decided upon FSU, so I knew about his size and what he looked like physically. But he moves really well. He's a fluid kid. Uh, what did Josh Storms call him? A certified freak? Is that the terminology? He used? Yes, that is correct. Uh, yeah, I mean, the hype is building there. As I said on one of our recent pods, I'm tired of the him, Jermaine Johnson, 
like comparing the two and saying they're the same thing because he's stepping into that void left by Johnson. But I do think he's going to be a very good player for FSU. To be fair, he is playing the exact same role as Jermaine Johnson, and they used Jermaine Johnson to recruit him. But I know what you mean. The expectation that he's going to come in and, and be ACC Defensive Player of the Year, it should not be the same. He's younger than Jermaine Johnson was. Uh, he didn't have the experience at the Power 5 level that Jermaine Johnson had for a couple of years to be at Georgia and get that strength conditioning uh, training and whatnot. But I, I do think we can be bullish and optimistic about Jared Verse being a capable Power 5 defensive end right off the bat. Like, I don't think there's yeah. going to – I'll put it this way, because I don't think there's going to be this huge physical transformation or transition, excuse me, from FCS to FBS for, for Verse. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I, I'm confident in his ability. I just don't think he's a guy that's going to potentially compete for ACC defensive player to year out of the gate. I agree. That's that's probably a little unreasonable. But what we, what we liked about him is that he uh, carried his weight well. He's listed at 250, I think. Is it 250 or 240? I think it's 250, and he's every bit at 250. He's listed um, at 250. I swear to God he's bigger than that. Looking at him, I, he carries a ton of weight on that frame. He carries it well, but he just looks so big. And someone who I think can, can add to it. So he – Let's see how he does with the pads on, but early indications are, okay, that's your your starting defensive end. Now to the other side, who we're projecting right now to be the starting Fox is someone who was inside last year but has experience at defensive end. We expect him to make a more or less 100% transition to defensive end, at least in standards down, standard downs, and that's Dennis Briggs. And, Chris, I'll let you talk about Dennis as well because you're, you're the president of the Dennis Briggs fan club as, as well. Yeah, always been a fan, obviously had that very bad – Foot injury last year caused by Louisville firing off a cheap shot on him. Uh, he looked good at tour of duty as far as moving around. He had a little tape on that ankle, but it didn't look like it's something that's going to be a major issue for him going into the spring. That's a positive. Dennis weight-wise has always been one of those guys that, you know, 10 more pounds is very easy to slide inside, sheds a little weight, very easy to live on the edge. They want him to be an edge. He wants to be an edge in the sense of he's bought into the idea of what they want him to be. He's prepared to do it. He looks very good physically. It changes the dynamics of that position from what we were thinking at the end of last year where they needed to replace Kier and Jermaine, likely with two high school and or transfer types, and they only got one really with verse, to, well, here we go. Here's this guy that buys time for the next two guys up, Quayshon Ford, Derek McClendon, and then we'll get to it. But there's a couple of young guys that we hope might emerge at that position too. You know what I've been trying to rationalize with Dennis Briggs is is how much of this move outside is because they think that's what's best for a Dennis. How much is it is they think is best for you know getting the best eleven on the field? And the answer may be somewhere in between or, or both. But there's this element, of, right? Yeah, I, I think with I'll put it this way: if Coop and or Love it doesn't come back, I don't know that we see that move, right? There's definitely the component of best 11. And, and I think we've seen Dennis play outside before. He's got kind of that tweener body, which isn't necessarily a bad thing when you run a hybrid scheme like FSU likes to do with a couple of its hybrid spots. That's Fox, that's uh, the stud position, and then that's the buck position. This is what Adam Fuller basically, like when he came here, Chris, this is what he said, is we have these three spots and that gives us the flexibility to not, I guess, pigeonholed into a prototype. Someone has to play like this. Like at defensive end, you need 6'4", 6'5", with length on that wide side of the field and speed like Jermaine Johnson, like Jared Verse. That's what's ideal. Uh, at Fox, you can be a little flexible with it. You can get an edge setting type like Garrett Thomas, like a Dennis Briggs, or you can go a little smaller and more twitchy, depending on what you want to do. So I don't have a problem with Briggs moving outside. I think he looks like he could be a, uh, a combo guy. You can have him outside sometimes. You can move him inside. Uh, we'll see how he does handling that, but, but I – 
I'm optimistic. I like Dennis Briggs. I think he's mature physically. He looks like he's in really good shape right now. So I'm not as concerned with the defensive ends today as I was maybe a month ago. Um, yeah, and as I mentioned, the next two up are Derek McClendon, who may have had the most drastic body change since the conclusion of last season. Mm-hmm. Quayshawn Fuller, who started to put it together more so last year than he was doing so at this point a year ago. And then, you know, I always said they need a fifth one to step up. Leonard Warner is kind of a safety uh, in the sense of a safety clause. <laughs> not, the not the position. Not the position. <laughs> a safety clause at the position because he is so experienced. He's done it for a long time. He's shown that he's capable of being a guy who can push the edge a little bit. I think if he's your fifth guy, you're very comfortable. But I do hope that we see something from a Patrick Payton or a Byron Turner or somebody else who's younger at that spot. I like Payton a lot. He's a kid that received a good bit of praise from them last year for immediately putting on weight. I think he's reshaped his body a little bit after putting on a lot of weight. I think he put on a lot of weight to, you know, weigh in heavier. I think now he looks better in that body. Byron Turner is a guy who's banged up last year, couldn't play. He's back. He got a good bit of praise. I think he was mentioned not once but twice by Josh Storms without his name coming up from a media member. That's usually a pretty good sign. Yeah, I I read into that similarly, Chris, with him bringing up Byron twice. And, and listen, like last year during preseason camp, when we got a got to see Byron Turner, Patrick Payton, George Wilson, Shamber Jackson, that defensive end class in person for the first time. It's one thing to see them on campus visiting or even on a, in a camp setting. Then it's another to see them, you know, amongst all the other veteran players. Byron Turner physically. Like that was different than than the other guys. He had a more filled out physique. He had the the requisite like length and frame, and I, I think he's someone that would have had a chance to you know, maybe play like against a UMass, like how Patrick Payton did, and, and be on the the two and a half deep, if you will, last year. If that shoulder injury uh, doesn't, I don't think it was an injury that he suffered in camp. I think it's something that got aggravated and they realized was pre existing. So. Yeah, they had to clean it up. Yeah. So he's someone that I think, you know, if he was healthy, like would have been maybe the the most ready made of those incoming freshmen last year. So now that seems like he's healthy and ready to go based on what we've seen and heard uh, in tour duty in the winter program like that. I'll put it this way because I have Byron Turner and Patrick Payton as two breakout guys to watch this spring. Maybe I'm a year early on that, but man, it would be huge if you get one of those two to enter the mix and become like that fourth defensive end. I think that would, that would change your outlook if you felt good about those guys to where you, how you can allocate your scholarships uh, remaining here in the transfer portal. Yeah, we've heard of them talking of portal. They want a guy, whether it's a linebacker or an edge, somebody that can rush a pass or get off the edge. Peyton might have the best, just speaking from his recruiting profile, uh, assets in that regard in the mm-hmm. sense of being talented at doing that. So you kind of look at him, but I don't think Byron Turner is one who should be discounted as somebody who can pressure a passer either. And then you mentioned McClendon. Yeah, I'm interested to see. It seems like he's dialed in. Yeah, I asked Josh Storms about his physical transformation and said that I mean, he was pretty uh, transparent and just said, you know, Derek McClendon was someone who was young when we got here, both just in terms of experience and just he, he was, I didn't say he didn't use the word immature, but he said looked, physical and mental, mental maturation. Yeah. So there had to be, I guess that does mean immature. He didn't say that directly, but I think that is the roundabout way of saying that. So, uh, someone who maybe seems to kind of be stepping it up and figuring out this is his time. It's kind of now or never territory because there are young guys behind him capable of, of pushing for reps. So uh, we'll see that this is, that's probably one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting position groups to watch this spring, moving on to the interior of the defensive line, based on what's returning, you got Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett feel really good about those two. Cooper looked great in 
in tour duty. Uh, we heard good things about Fabian Lovett. He wasn't full go uh, the other day, but you know, someone that, that we've heard good things about. And then you got Jarrett Jackson and Malcolm Ray. So they played well last year. So off that, that just too deep there, those four guys, uh, fair to say, Chris, this might be the most solid, uh, reliable position group, uh, at least on the defense, maybe the entire roster. Uh, in the sense of first team, second team, all being kind of interchangeable. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, that first team is clearly defined. The second team, if Jackson can take the next step, will be an asset. And then you even have Josh Farmer. He's, he's up further. Am I still there? Felt like it cut out for a second. It did, but you're you're here. Keep keep Over it rolling. There. Sorry. Um, and then you have Josh Farmer, third team. He is heavier. I thought he was a little bit too heavy, truthfully, watching him move around and tour duties. One knows what I like to call February bar- bodies where you bulk to weigh more on the scale and then you work to get yourself in better shape, which I'm I'm sure he will with the spring and the preseason. I'm not Farmer. worried about Josh Farmer's work ethic. Yeah, he seems like right now, if I had to guess, I mean, he's probably the fifth guy in that rotation. That's what he would have been last year. I'm just I'm looking over the rest of the guys because we kind of know. Lions yeah. looked like a freshman, started the day well, seemed to wear down a little bit in tour of duty. But and I he think has, he has some weight to add. Fine. He has yeah. some weight to add, yeah. Yeah, but he has a really nice frame body type at about 275 when he walked through the door. So I feel pretty confident that he's going to bulk to 300 and it will be in a good way. Mm-hmm. Sean Bray is a guy who feels like it's swimming a bit right now. Um, I just didn't come away from tour of duty thinking like that kid's kind of started taking the next step that he needs to. I didn't notice TJ Davis. I don't even know if he was actually working out at tour of duty. Um but to me, TJ Davis is pretty much a scout team, scout team body. Seems like that. I'm looking over if there's anyone else right now. Um, Bishop Thomas would be the one other guy I can think of that I didn't mention. Yeah, and I like Bishop Thomas. I liked his his high school film. He didn't play his senior season, uh, but I didn't think he looked out of shape or like he didn't belong at all. I thought that was one of the more uh, promising developments from that little glimpse of Torah duty the other day, Chris, is Bishop Thomas looks like he could play football right now, which is good because he didn't play football for a year. So I'll take that. He... He's someone if he cracked the, you know, if he was that fifth man, I was going to say too deep, but probably right below. If he was that fifth guy in your rotation this season, I don't think I'd be shocked by it. Yeah. Okay. I think if I had to pick a guy in that group who's taking the next step, Coop is up there because Coop definitely looked like a guy that understands it's his money year in tour of duty. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd probably go Malcolm Ray because of the progression of his talent and his time at FSU. It, it kind of started flashing last year for sure. Fact we walked out there, he's in a black jersey. I thought was an excellent sign. I, I think Malcolm Ray can be really, really good for them. We've learned about him in the past years that he works hard and teammates seem to respect him. And I think those two kind of go hand in hand together. They respect him because he does work hard. So he's gonna position himself uh as an Odell Hagens kind of guy that's gonna do the right things and may not have the most physical talent, but I will maximize what he has. And yeah, you can mess with that. That's that's gonna work. So uh yeah, I'm with you. I like I like what I saw from Malcolm Ray the other day. It's good when you see a guy running around and smiling. One, he's not fatigued to where he can't smile, and then two, that he's having fun. Uh, let's yeah. go to linebacker now, Chris. An interesting group uh, because it returns its main contributors. It gets someone with a position change. It's a nice infusion with a promising freshman, Omar Graham. But, but I think the big addition and the big uh, part of this position group that we should start with is transfer Tatum Bethune from UCF. Yeah. I think Bethune will be playing beside Kalen DeLoach as a starter. I think Bethune is a little bit bigger. He's what, 225, 230, I think is what they list him at in that ballpark. So he's not that Lundy 250 plus or that Dix 240-ish 
uh, yoked up kind of size. He's not quite that big, but he is bigger than what Gainer or Deloach is. I even know Gainer's put on good weight, and then Gainer's 237, but he's still more tall and slender. Tatum's a little more compact, uh, more physical. And that's what they need. They need a guy who can be physical, but also athletic enough at that position. That's where they've hurt so much in the last couple of years. And it's been kind of a slow crawl to get better there. I think Tatum Bethune takes a big step forward. One, he's super experienced. Two, he's a high-level tackler. I think some of the tackles you're going to lose from the defensive end possession position with Keir Thomas and Jermaine Johnson moving on will be made up for at the next level by Tatum Bethune. I think he's a guy who will be a high-level tackling player, possibly top two or three on this team in tackles this year if he's able to play a good quantity of snaps because of health. I just I have a whole abundance of confidence in Tatum Bethune, and nothing I saw on tour of duty hesitated me rolling downhill real fast with that belief that he is the guy that they're going to insert there, and it's going to really, really help because sometimes it's beneficial for a guy to go from being a starter to a second-team guy who contributes, and I think that's the case with DJ Lundy. Yeah, the thing with DJ Lundy that – so I like what – I mean, his strengths are pretty clear to define. Like, he's really good at stopping inside run when when he hits – you know, a, a master of humanity, he pushes it backwards, which is a, a really uni- unique and nice trait to have. It's like an old school linebacker. The issues are well-defined, him playing in space. The thing I like about Tatum Bethune is I don't think you have to take him off the field. Like, I think it could be a three-down yeah. linebacker. Uh, and I think that between him and Deloach with what you need to defend uh, up-tempo spread offenses that you'll see, you know, fairly frequently on your schedule this year, like, that's really, really valuable. So if those are your two guys that you feel good about, and I think Deloach – he played his best football at the end of last season and got progressively better. So he is willing to be physical and play with high energy. If he just gets a little bit more confident and trusts what he sees and reads things quicker. Like if he takes another step, that's a really nice one, two combo at starting linebacker. And then, like you say, Chris, it allows DJ Lunday to maybe be a two things. One, he can be a decent backup where you play him, you know, 20 snaps a game and that's fine. It's much better than playing him 50 to 60. And then two, he's a good blitzer. Uh, he's effective with that that strength, the lower body and upper body strength he has, the ability to get leverage, uh, to to be an effective blitzer. Like maybe you can use him in that capacity in sub packages as well, especially with losing Jermaine and Kier. You could start being more specific with how you use like a DJ Lundy or an Amari Gaynor, for example, too. Uh, where do you think Amari um, Gaynor? Where, how, do you, how does Amari Gaynor fit into all this? Think, do you think Gaynor? has a better year because a he's figured out how to play in the scheme better and b they figured out how to scheme him better so um, that's one of those spring things i want to watch before i really state a definitive opinion on it mm-hmm. but i am very interested in that dynamic I, i've always thought of Mari gainer is one of the more talented guys on the football team there are deficiencies in his game like everybody else but there are things he can do he can move around the field his lane his ability to turn and cover sometimes is there. That's an area where I hope he's improved. I'm, I'm just intrigued by what he can bring to the table. Because if you have the top three of Deloach, Bethune, and him, that's a really good top three if Gaynor can kind of break through and Bethune is what we think he is. And then you obviously have Lundy next up, and you kind of got to figure it out after that, you know, whether it's Stephen Dix maybe playing a little bit better, but I'm not hitching my wagon to that idea. Omar Graham stepping in and doing something as a freshman. So to me, Gaynor's kind of the swing guy for that position being pretty good or just good enough. Um, and I'm, I don't know what to expect, to be perfectly honest, from Gaynor. So t- two things. Uh, one, I am a pretty big proponent, Chris, of 
using like how guys finish a season as like that's a good starting point for me when I'm trying to project what they're going to do moving forward as you kind of figure things out as a coaching staff, how does a player improve throughout the season? Gainer's usage went down at the end of the year. Like he only had three snaps against Boston College. I think uh, I'm pulling it up here. 24 against Florida. So he kind of fell out of the rotation late in the year. And that was after a tough game against Miami where he kind of got exposed uh, with some of the coverage liabilities in space. Um, so you got to figure out where you can use him and what he does best. To me, it's attacking forward. I know a lot of people want to use him at defensive end, and that makes sense. I don't think he has the frame, the, the base to like be that Fox guy all the time. Now, if you want to, and this is the second part of this, if you want to start toying with some more three, four elements, which, uh, you know, we saw them do that at times last year. We saw them toy with that in practice. That's when you have someone like a Dennis Briggs, all of a sudden, like, yeah, you have a three-man front of of Robert Cooper, Dennis Briggs, and Fabian Lovett. If you want to put Amari Gaynor as an edge defender, you know, blitzing and being a free man, I think that's where he becomes valuable. So he's too talented of a player to not use. I just don't know if you can use him as an every down linebacker at this point in his career. He, he just hasn't shown it to me, um, which is disappointing. Do you think it's more his fault or they just struggled to figure it out? I think it's a bit of both, truthfully, but it's a weird deal to me. Amari Gaynor is one of the guys who I feel like when this staff came in, he was handed off talent that should have helped him. And Amari's been good. I'm not trying to say he's been bad this whole time here. I just don't think we've seen the next step from him, and I'm I'm surprised by that, truthfully. So one thing, like again, there is a skill set that he can do. I think the coverage he's shown the last two years that there's a liability there. That's just he's not super comfortable there, and some of it is like he it just doesn't quite fit in. But there is one thing that he does well, and that's blitz. Like he is a good blitzer. In 2019, he had 25 quarterback pressures on 198 pass rush attempts. He's only rushed the passer fewer than fewer than 80 times the last two seasons combined, and he only has 14 quarterback pressures. So, yeah, there's someone who can do something well, uh, and they just haven't they haven't dialed that up. So that's something that could be done better as a coaching staff. But he's not a plug and play guy who you can just kind of figure it out. You have to scheme with him in mind and like be creative with how you utilize him. Um, you think to some degree he's a lost cause when it comes to coverage? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet on it at this point. I mean, guys are allowed to improve. I think we've seen that with this staff. There is development, but he just it doesn't seem natural to him. And teams, we see this like against NC State the last couple of years, like teams will isolate him and, and go after him in, in yeah. coverage and put him in space. And just it's, it's disappointing because that was supposed to be one of the strikes for Amari coming in, wasn't it? Is that he was supposed to be a space player, someone who was comfortable well, he had playing a good in space. athletic profile? And usually, think that would translate. Now in high school, he did do a lot of rushing off the edge mm-hmm. um, at Childs, and not that they were a very special defense by any stretch. So the belief was that his athleticism would always translate to allowing him to turn his hips and go different directions and keep up with people and be effective in coverage. But some of that's just natural feel too, and maybe that's what he's missing there. And he's also put on like 20 pounds in the last year and a half or so. So some of that may be yeah, learning how to play with that. 237. I, I yeah. double-checked it when I was talking about the weights of the guys. Yeah, he's 237. I mean, he's drastically heavier than when he walked in, through the door originally. I think it was like 215 or something like that. Yeah. yeah so, some, you know, now I'm not ready to say he's a lost cause. When I did the most talented player list for the preseason, I had him in the top 20. And even though I don't think he's one of the – 20 most like important players this year like there, there's this inherent like he does some things well he does move well 
uh, charging forward in space. He's a really good blitzer. This is some of the you know turn change of direction, moving backwards stuff is, is limited. So th- there is a place for him. Uh, some of that's going to be on you know on the staff to figure out where that best place is, and some of that's going to be on Amari to continue uh, improving and growing. We'll see. Uh, Do we care that Brendan Gantz moved to linebacker? I don't think it's something that we want to breeze over. Ultimately, if you had to ask me today, like, do I think Brendan Gant is an impact player for FSU this season or in his career? I, I would probably lean towards no. Um, I think that some of this is this position change is meant to light a fire under Brendan Gant and also to kind of get some more. They're moving him to a room that has a little bit more maturity and they're taking him out of a room that had a lot of immaturity last year with the defensive back group. And I don't think that's by coincidence either. Uh, I don't want to say I'm I'm will write off Brendan Gant. He got to have a black jersey earlier toward duty, so he's clearly doing some things right. But I don't know, Chris. I'm stop me stop me from being too mean on him here. I just I don't I'm not ready to to buy in to Brendan Gant hype or this position change being the elixir that gets it all figured out. I'm not gonna stop you. Okay, <laughs> you feel the same way. I'm, yeah, we'll see. It, there's. Usually a position change to this late in the career isn't a drastic position change, I should say. Like moving Dennis Briggs from inside to outside when he played outside before and there's some hybrid elements is one thing. Uh, Brendan Gantz moving to linebacker. I think there's some level of desperation to that, of, of trying to figure out what you can before it's time to move on. Uh, that's the best way I could say. It's kind of the same thing with Jadarius Green McKnight. He moved there this last uh, season. He had a hand injury early in the year. I just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like either of those guys are primed to be factors. I'll happily eat crow if Brendan Gant ends up playing really well this season, and that'd be great if you can get something out of him as a like a sub package linebacker or even more than that. That's I'm not I'm not ready to buy in on it. Uh, what about Stephen Dix, Chris? Do you think there's there's hope to resuscitate his career after he really fell out of the? No. Went, it's kind of crazy. He went from starting to, to no. Yeah, I don't. I I don't. I think he's a permanent lot. We were having a Gainer conversation about ability to cover. I'm surprised Gainer can't cover because he's got the athletic profile that should allow him to do it. With Dix, I don't believe he has the athletic profile to allow him to do it. And in this league, with the amount of spread and pass-happy offenses, he he on the field, in most situations, he will be a liability. Is there a situation where he can work? Sure. But there's I don't think there's a lot of them throughout games. There's a reason his usage rate on defense drastically declined last year. I agree uh, in the sense that there is that coverage liability and I don't know how you, I mean, he just looks the part you see him at tour duty and he's busting his ass. He's working hard after getting benched this past season. And there's some level of value there. This goes back to a position, a drastic position change could be a sign of desperation of salvage, man. I wouldn't hate seeing him as like a Fox defensive end kind of what they're going to use Leonard Warner for this season as more of an edge shedder. Uh, use him on standard downs as a situational guy, try to get 20 snaps a game out of him. Uh, I wouldn't hate that for Steven Dix. He's big. He's strong. I think he'd hold up at the point of attack there, and you're not asking him to play in space as much. But, yeah, as far as him being an impact player at linebacker, I don't know. I think he's an extremely good culture kid. Mm -hmm. He's a good student. He loves working hard. He does what's asked of him. He doesn't mope. He doesn't complain. You know, he's a good special teams contributor. He was even that last year when his usage rate on defense went down. He was still valuable on that. So, like, I I think he's a valuable guy within the idea of the team. I just think at linebacker he isn't. 
Maybe put him at fullback. Have him do the DJ Lundy role since Lundy had a bunch of snaps. Put him at fullback, you know, five times a game, and just let him go run straight forward and hit someone. Uh, I real quick, we'd use one of our twelve tight ends as a fullback. Shh, no, no, no. This is a defensive preview. No tight end talk. DJ Lundy did look like he dropped a little bit of weight, Chris. Uh, that's the what they all said before about linebacker. They Dix, both looked a little bit slimmer. Dix just looked buffer. <laughs> he just looks like just more muscle added on there. Uh, Lundy looked like that little bit of a belly that he had last year wasn't. I, di- I didn't see it. Um, yeah, I'm not saying he's going to be thin. I think he played at 255 last year. Maybe he's going to be when when they release the updated heights and weights uh, at the end of tour of duty here in the next couple of days. He'll probably, I would guess, 245, 250. I, I guess he lost probably about 5, 10 pounds, yeah, which should help. Um, moving on to defensive backfield, let's start at safety. Everyone's back at safety. Anyone who played last year uh, at safety is is back. It starts with Jamie Robinson, Chris. I put him at number one top talented player on the roster. You want to you wanna fight me on that? I won't fight you on that. Yeah. It all comes down to the semantics of the definition of the word. He's not the most important guy for FSU winning football no. games this year. I think quarterback obviously is. Uh, is he the most talented player on the team? I definitely think he's in that discussion. I think he has the candidacy to be FSU's highest draft pick off of this roster for next year. If you were, he was an All ACC player. He could have gone in the draft this year and been selected, but probably in later rounds, he can play himself up with a repeat kind of season where he produces at a high level again. If you were to formulate, if we were to do the NCAA video game series and you had to do the five guys who were rated the highest on the roster, that's kind of how I, I went about this particular list. Uh, what would you, who would your five highest rated guys be? Just overall uh, skill set. So Robinson, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go with any transfers because we haven't seen them here yet. Um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think there's a couple that could contend for this conversation in that group. I would say Robinson, love it. Uh, I guess Jordan would be in that. J. Trev? Yeah. Chris um, struggling here. I'm trying to make sure I don't forget somebody. I guess Coop. Um, mm-hmm. You know, though, I actually think Dennis Briggs is a better of the two NFL prospects between him and Coop. I so I guess that. I'd go Briggs over Coop. And then maybe Robert over there on the offensive line. Robert Scott. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Would you have any of those guys over a 90? You don't play you haven't played the video game in a while, though. You don't play it all it's the been time. It's been a long time. Uh yeah. I don't I, I think maybe the first two or three could hang out in that territory. Yeah. But no, somebody asked if anybody on this roster would have contributed in 2013 or 14. I didn't look at the 14 roster. If I took a quick glimpse at the 13 roster to make sure there wasn't somebody on a two deep who just was on the two deep to be listed like Jadiri Scream McKnight last year. No, <laughs> nobody on this team I think would contribute as a two deep player on the 2013 team. Wow. I don't think anyone would start. I, I don't know. I think Jamie Robinson would have been like the dime linebacker over Nate Andrews or something like that. I mean, I think there's a couple, but Jeremy Pruitt would fight you for the record. <laughs> uh Jeremy Pruitt like Jamie Robinson. Didn't he, he loved Nate Andrews though. He did. I'm, Jamie Robinson probably would have transferred to Tennessee if Jeremy Pruitt was still there uh, when South Carolina, when he left South Carolina. I don't know if that's breaking news or anything like that. Anyways, let's let's go back to safety. So Jamie Robinson uh, is someone who could help out his draft stock a lot. Is someone that we both think is pretty pretty talented. 
what do you need? What do you want to see from him this spring, Chris? Because I got the feel this is going to be his defense now. Like, is he able to to be the leader of it? I think that's a big storyline that I have. Leadership thing's kind of a weird deal for me. I, leaders can be guys who aren't the best player on the field. They can be vocal. They can kind of set the tone. Stephen Dix, for example, is a guy who can be a leader, even though he's not going to be a major contributor. More with Robinson, I want to be kind of like Asante Samuel was going into that money year. It's consistent every damn day. Like, you do the same thing at a high level every single day, every rep. You constantly do it. Set the example by your actions. That's what I want Robinson to be. So the pieces around him, I, I think, are interesting, Chris, because – so, like, with Jarquez McClellan, like, he was solid last year in that rotation. He got better as the year when I got more comfortable. Uh, he was solid in that rotational safety role and actually played well for Jamie Robinson against Boston College when Jamie got ejected early in the game for targeting – so I think he's solid there, but then I'm like the buck position is interesting to me. You got Keem Dent coming back. He played well in the last few games at that position, but then you also have Sidney Williams coming back from an injury. You have Renardo Green, who we talked about the other day, has the black, got the black jersey. He seems to be kind of figuring it out. He could play corner or safety. I imagine safety. Then you have Shaheen Brown, who has a lot of talent, and maybe uh, like I think Sam McCall said he's going to start his career at cornerback, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam McCall get reps at safety as well. So, I mean, guess what, how do you see that other position next to Jamie Robinson kind of shaking out in the spring here? Well, we need Sydney to get healthy. He looked like he was still going through it a bit at tour of duty. He was going through the actual drills, but it looked like once again, he was hampered by something that's been kind of a constant theme disappointingly for him. Renato Green's really talented. Uh, last year was a really weird year for that young man where he got hurt, seemed to kind of fall out of favor or at least be disgruntled to some degree. And based on the comments at tour of duty the other day, it sounds like that that shifted back in the positive direction for him. So that's a good thing. If I was betting on a player right now, I'd probably go Renardo Green. Shaheen Brown's interesting because there's a whole lot of uh, electric excitement there. Big hits, covers a lot of field, tends to be around the ball. But there's also some really big misses. If he can reduce those misses, then he'll improve his possibilities of taking that role too. Yeah, I want to see Shaheen Brown be more engaged. I don't think at this point I can share it, but like this past season, there'd be a group of guys who would, uh, during during a water break, that would kind of go and sit by themselves uh, away from the team. There's like eight guys. Andrew Parchment was there. A lot of these guys aren't with the team anymore. Left early. Deontay Sheffield was there. Jaleel McRae was there. Uh, Lloyd Willis is someone who, he has had to show more engagement. He'd go sit there. And it's like, there wasn't a coincidence that those guys would, would kind of be off to the side uh, that a lot of them aren't here anymore. Shaheen Brown was part of that group. I would just like to see more engagement and there's so much physical tool there. Uh, so many physical tools. Like let's just, let's see if he can put that together with, I guess, learning the defense, uh, kind of understanding what his physical capabilities are right now as he grows into his body and and hopefully like he gets pushed you know by some of the veterans in that group like a Jamie Robinson, Jarquez McClellan. Let's see. Um, he's the I, I he's like a wild see, card. I would like to see the Sam McCall shift to safety happen immediately. And that's not saying he can't play corner. I think he could be very good at corner, but I think value out of the gate for him might be greatest at safety. I could see that he moves. I mean, there's some cornerback stuff there, but he just. The frame, if he continues to develop uh, the way we assume he will physically, like that's someone who looks like he could play at like 210, 220 and be a, an electric safety. He moves so well he in the in, he covers in tour a duty. a ton, ton of yeah. field. 
Yes. And he finds the ball constantly. I just think he's one of those guys that can clean so much up for you. Mm-hmm. And I also think from a physical standpoint, he's capable enough as a guy who can handle the rigors and the duties that come with playing safety as far as support and run game. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, Let's get a really good 11 on the field and a 22 you can really trust. And that might take a guy who's one of five, six best at one position and turn him into third or fourth best at the other position. Uh, you know, that's putting a lot on the shoulders of a true freshman. But I think McCall's a kid that could help them immediately yeah. out of the gate. We saw them do that this past year with Kevin Knowles. They thought he was one yeah. of their more reliable guys. He communicates amazingly well. And they put him at, at nickel mm-hmm. corner and said, hey, we're going to roll with you. that about for yeah. Knowles. Knowles yep. kept doing it in spring. They realized we got to get him on the field in some form or some fashion. Mm-hmm. And it took him a little while to say, let's get Jamie Robinson out to safety. They eventually did that, put him at free safety instead of the buck safety where he was kind of doing a couple different things. And it just, it all ended up working out well, uh, which proves that there's a blueprint for getting these guys in position as freshmen if they show up well in, in the spring. So let's transition to cornerback. Uh, let's start with Kevin Knowles, man, because I thought, one, he was really solid last year as a true freshman, not perfect by any means. Uh, got exposed in some games, got attacked a little bit against Miami, uh, but but never really hung his head with someone who was always in the mix, was a willing tackler despite being undersized. I I like him. He looked great in tour duty. It looked like he bulked up a little bit. He's moving well. Do you think he's going to remain in the nickel role this year, Chris, or do you think they move him outside to corner to kind of push someone like, say, a Jarvis Brownlee? I think he remains at the nickel role because I think Coop and Brownlee are your outside guys. Okay. And then... I I don't know if that's long-term where he plays at FSU. There was a discussion late in here, I forget, around second or third last game, to the last game, um, where Adam Fuller was asked that. If I remember, maybe Corey Clark asked him about Knowles' position long-term. Is he a nickel? And Fuller wasn't fully committal on him always being a nickel. It was more where we need him now, where it makes the most sense going forward. But he's definitely not a kid that they solely view as just a nickel. Even Marcus Woodson last spring when he was asked about Kevin Knowles, he said you initially wanted to put him out outside, but we thought starting him off in the nickel in the spring, him and Jamie Robinson would allow both of them to learn, I guess, multiple things about the defense because you're kind of being that hybrid player. So instead of just being on one side, you're kind of having to learn what the other cornerback is doing, what the safety is doing all around you. Uh, and then they just kind of kept Kevin there because he he handled that role so well. So, yeah, there is that potential for him to move outside. I guess then as you're trying to find your best three, you mentioned Jarvis Brownlee and Amarian Cooper. I think you assume that Cooper, if he just continues to do what he did late last season, then that's not only a, a solid starter for your cornerback, that's a potential NFL player as well. And then that kind of falls on Jarvis Brownlee, right? Like, does he – He's got his physical limitations, but he plays really hard, and especially against run support. Uh, aside from that huge coverage bust against Jacksonville State, not a ton of coverage bust late in the season. He kind of figured it out. Does he remain in the starting lineup? Is there anyone to push him? I think that's kind of where we start looking at this cornerback group in the spring to see if if you can upgrade from Jarvis Brownlee or if he could fend off you know, who else is out there, Chris? Greedy Vance, Azaria Thomas. Yeah, Greedy Vance to me was brought in to be a reserve type guy to give you reliable depth when you need to rotate. Travis Jay's a wild card. He needs to have a big spring. If he doesn't, I'm not sure it works out here personally. Uh, Hunter Washington's an one who's going into year two, redshirt freshman. He looked good, I thought, at tour of duty. I'm interested to see if he kind of can start pushing for some kind of role in the secondary. He's a guy who I think can play a lot of different spots. 
I'm interested where they actually start lining them up at. I, I I've been kind of you know in on uh, AZ Thomas as a guy who I think can come in here and do some things early on. I just think he's talented, got a really good athletic profile. I love the length, and he's competitive, and he comes from a really good high school program there at Niceville. So, I do just, you think he? Do you think he stays at corner, Chris? Because him and McCall are built fairly similarly. Yes, I think if you're, well, I'm I'm stuck in the mindset of what Jimbo instilled in us of I need big corners for big receivers, but Az Thomas to me is a guy that he fits that idea. So yeah, I think he's a corner long term. So who else do we have? Demory Tate is on the roster still. I know he's yeah, a fan favorite to similar, talk about. Similar story to Travis J. It's kind of, you know, time to do it or get off the bot. Would you say now or never? Are, are you writing now or never? Is that what I mean, I may, I may do. Yeah, I may do that. You may have inspired yeah, me. It, now or it's never an important spring. time for a guy like that. You you can't be a carryover on this roster, especially a multiple-year guy. And I know he had the complication of academics his first year and have done nothing and keep claiming a spot. It's just not a good enough roster where the patience is allowed. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we want to touch on with the defense. It'll be an interesting position group because you do lose your best player and arguably your second best player, but definitely one of the top, you know, three or four guys uh, on your defense last year. But outside of that, everyone's back. It's just a matter of whether you can replace those two leaders, those two alpha dog types at defensive end. I think it's a better group as a whole, especially from a depth standpoint. I think you're less reliable on certain guys who aren't reliable. That's a positive. The concern is pass rush. I mean, I forget the stat exactly, but I think they're going from 33 sacks to 12 and a half returning. Is that what it was? I think it was 20 and a half that they lost. Most of those, obviously, Johnson Thomas, also a ton of tackles for loss, also a ton of tackles. Those two ends tackled at extremely high rate for defensive ends. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do you replace that production? I don't think it's a individual that replaces those individuals. I think it's more the group effort, you know, Tatum Bethune helping out the defensive ends, for example, stuff like that. So I'm interested in that. For me, in spring, I want to see that the defense kind of settles in, knows who in hell, who they are and what the hell they're doing, uh, like halfway through the spring. I don't want this to be we get to practice 12 or 13 and we're moving guys around still, still seemingly trying to figure some things out. It needs to be a little bit more. This is what we intend to go with. This is what we intend to be. Now let's build the version of ourselves with these people. All right. So that wraps up our defensive preview for spring practice. Zach and Josh gave you the rundown on recruiting at the start of the podcast here. So stick around at Knowles 24-7. This weekend's going to be very, very, very busy. There's also baseball and basketball going on as well on Saturday in addition to spring practice and a huge, huge recruiting weekend for FSU. Uh, seems to be like the marquee weekend of the spring. So stick around in Knowles 24-7 for all the coverage. We'll have updates for you pretty much constantly going on over the weekend. So check it out there. Thanks for listening. For Chris Nee, for Josh Huber, for Zach Glossine, I'm Brendan Snow. It's been On the Bench. 